0: From ACU, been there for about 10 years, he tells me. He's married to Deborah. They have two children. He's an incredible scholar in Hebrew and Greek, but speaks quite plainly to all of us here at MacArthur Park Church, so we can understand what he's saying. I'm always humbled by his willingness to come and speak to us, because he could be doing a lot of other things, but he's willing to come and speak, and I appreciate that a lot. You'll be challenged. By this good man tonight, as he talks to us about the subject of Nehemiah. Kurt.
1: Well, it's good that I'm here tonight because I've had to to rebuke some people already, (laughs) and after that really bad joke, I can see there's more work to be done. We will have an altar call at the end.
0: I thought that joke was funny.
1: I, I was accosted by a false teacher right before class who wanted to tell me that I was teaching on the shortest man in the Bible, Nehemiah. And I quickly corrected him because Nehemiah is the second shortest man in the Bible because Bildad the shoe height. In the book of Job is is apparently not fans of Job. And uh, Job wasn't much fan of Job himself. But uh, um, Nehemiah, Nehemiah, I did not ask for Nehemiah. Uh, I was assigned Nehemiah. uh, So I'm going to blame anything you don't like on uh, Doug. But I think that's what everybody around here does anyway, so that uh, that just uh, will work out just fine. Uh, Nehemiah, I think he's a, a great role model for us. Um, to try and think about his situation, Nehemiah is from a royal family, a Jewish royal family, That doesn't do him much good, because he's not in Israel. He's in Persia. He is a slave. Now, he's a highly educated slave. He is a slave with a tremendous amount of responsibility. He is a slave who is basically a counselor to the king of Persia. He has a lot of perks, but he's still a slave, and he's still a foreigner, and... He misses home. And Nehemiah has heard that there have been some attacks on the city of Jerusalem. And some people have recently come from Israel, and he's eager to find out the news about the city. But the news is not good. Things have deteriorated, people have died, and a lot of people have fled. And it weighs on Nehemiah's heart.
0: And so, if I can get us going in the right direction here. There we go. Doug's fault. (laughs) Nehemiah lived as a resident alien and longed to
1: be home. Uh, That's not much different than the situation we find ourselves in. I don't know about you, but I long to be home, and this world is not my home. I long to be home. When I watch the news, I long to be home. The world right now, and it never has been for quite some time, but the world right now is not the way God created it. And the world right now is not the way God intended for it to be. And I long to be home because I am a resident alien here. I am a prisoner here. I am, in a sense, a slave here. But as much as Nehemiah longs for home, it does not draw his attention away from his responsibilities where God has placed him. Because Nehemiah is certain that God is behind all the things that are transpiring in his life. And so if he's a slave in Persia
0: and he has the ear of the king, it's God's doing. And so Nehemiah
1: is where he is and he gives himself totally to that. And that's where I have a hard time in my own life because... I like to focus so much on the home that I'm missing that I would really like to not participate much in the home where I'm at. And you can find a lot of people who are so eager about going to heaven that that's all they think about. And they miss the fact that one of the reasons we are here on earth is so that through the church, things might be done on earth as they are in heaven, that we might fulfill the prayer of Jesus until we get to go home. We're here for a reason, and it's not to wait for heaven. We're here for a reason, and it's not to punch a clock. Well, I sat on the pew Sunday... It's about something more. God has called us to something and Nehemiah recognizes that there is a purpose. There is a reason why he's not
0: home. But then he gets a chance to go home. But he, his heart is in the city of God. And what I think is important is that his homesickness actually
1: concretely affects his life, right? When he hears the news, he is saddened. He is in tears. He is in prayer. He is changing his life, even his demeanor, based on how he understands what's going on at home, what's going on with the kingdom. Sometimes when I watch the news especially the last couple of weeks, it makes me physically ill.
0: It's not right. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And I get
1: depressed. I get sick. But when I see the kingdom working the way it's supposed to, I get happy. And we see that in the book. Nehemiah has some of the, the lowest of lows And he has some of the highest of highs as God works in his life. And God sees him through all of those. But one of the things that's important about this is is that we can so easily be caught up in the day-to-day that we lose sight of home. We forget where we actually belong. And we forget that the kingdom of God brings on us different expectations, different... We're a different culture. We're a different world.
0: We look different. We talk different. We act different. Or at least we should.
1: People should recognize that we are foreigners here. Um, and so Nehemiah, he's heard the news, it's made him unbelievably sad. And even though he tries to put a good face on it sometimes, it doesn't work, and the king knows something's wrong. And so Nehemiah prays and approaches the king and is granted the opportunity to do something about it. Not just to whine, not just to fret, not just to relegate it to prayer, but to actually do something about it. And so Nehemiah has a heart for God, and that's displayed in several different ways. One is, he has a heart for God's ear. Nehemiah is a man of prayer. He's got prayers all over this book. He's constantly going to God. And he's going to God with both short and long prayers. Now... I'm familiar with short and long prayers. My long prayers usually are during the day. My short prayers are right when I go to bed and I fall asleep. About three sentences in. And I see lots of nods, so apparently uh, we've got a problem. But I love the way Nehemiah is thinking about the presence of God, how he's thinking about how close God is, the way that he can have this conversation. And so when he needs to to lay out a long prayer before God, he does, but sometimes he just does one-sentence prayers. He does very, very brief prayers. Some people like to call them breath prayers or you say a sentence as you breathe out and you say a sentence as you breathe in. Just a reminder that God is the one who gives us breath. God is the one who's there and he's listening to us. And so Nehemiah can have this long flowery prayer like we have in chapter one. Or you can have these one sentence prayers that are interspersed throughout the book. And the reason I think they keep showing up in the book is because that's Nehemiah. That's his nature. It's clear that Nehemiah himself is writing this book. And even as he's writing, he says, I've got to stick in a prayer. I wish I had that prayer life. He's constantly aware that God is there and he talks to God. With a wide variety of different types of prayers. And he expresses both his personal sin and the sin of the nation. Personal repentance and national repentance. We don't do this much. Because in the United States, we focus so much on individuality that we don't take responsibility for what society is doing. But there's a very different view in the Bible. Because we are a community, and we have a responsibility for what we do as a society. And I am not just responsible for being sorry for the sins that I have committed against God, but I need to be sorry for the nation as well. I need to be sorry for the church as well. Again, part of Nehemiah's close connection to God, where everything is transparent before God and a brutal honesty with God. Nehemiah doesn't pull any punches because he recognizes that he has a friendship with God, that God has invited him into a relationship that is not filled with all of the maneuvering and the the hiding of things and the the sweeping of things under the rug that often we will do in our own personal relationships. Nehemiah, prayer is to be all out there. God, this is how I
0: feel. This is what's going on. And I need help. It's my fault. To have this ability to be as open with God
1: as possible is at the heart of what allows Nehemiah to
0: do what he does to be God's friend, to be God's
1: person, to be in this dialogue that takes place. And Nehemiah seeks God's justice in prayer. You will see several times in the book of Nehemiah, where he prays for God's justice. And what's really important about this is because Nehemiah would like to dispense the justice himself. Now, Nehemiah becomes governor of Judea. He becomes governor of Israel. And so he has political power to do certain things. But what's interesting is where Nehemiah has power to exert over people, where he has opportunities to lord it over people, he does not do that ever he has the power to levy taxes but he knows the people of his land are stretched so thin that he decides to basically run the government out of his own pocket he knows the needs of the people and he's not going to exercise his authority he has certain rights he has the power of the sword and yet he is not going to
0: seek his own justice but he prays to god for god's justice lord
1: haven't you heard how they are taunting us haven't you heard all the things that they are saying and lord i'd really love for you to send them off in exile like you did us again brutally honest with god but what's important about this is that he puts that in god's hands because Nehemiah knows it doesn't belong to him. He can pray for it all he wants, but it is God who
0: is going to decide what, when, how, and where. In Psalm 137, don't look there. Psalm 137 is the, that psalm about bashing babies' heads in. And as Christians, we we never read it, but maybe we should.
1: Because what's going on in Psalm 137 is a Jew who has just arrived in Babylon after a death march. After they've seen pregnant women split open and babies crushed, their, their heads smashed on rocks because... Pregnant women and children are just going to slow us down. And we're going to force our march, our new captives, all the way to Babylon. And the singer goes, Lord, I wish you'd let them experience what, what we've experienced. And he's, he's brutally honest about it too. Lord, I wish you would let their babies' heads be bashed in on rocks. But what's important about that prayer is that the person who wrote it didn't go around doing it. He thinks he knows what is just. He thinks he knows what is right. And he's not asking for anything that they haven't done to them already. But it's God's responsibility. God will remember them. God will bring recompense. Our job is not to dispense that type of justice. But a very, very different type of justice. As long as we are here. And it's all part of Nehemiah's prayer life. Being honest with God. Here's what I'd really love to see. Whether or not it happens. God, you need to know. This is what I would love to see. But Nehemiah trusts
0: God enough. Not to take God's job away from him. We need, I think, in prayer to learn
1: to be transparent and honest with God because that also might help us in how we deal with the types of things that come across our screens on a daily basis. And what I mean by dealing with those is not just saying, oh, how horrible it is, but doing something about them. Because Nehemiah didn't
0: sit around saying, well, I'm just going to pray about this. And there's a reason for that. The reason is, Nehemiah
1: understands that a relationship with God requires dialogue. It's not me monologuing to God. My prayer is not just me. God doesn't really want to listen to me talk a lot. Right? I can already tell you, you don't want to listen to me talk a lot. Can you imagine God? Right? He doesn't care about what I formulate and how flowery my prayers are. He doesn't care if I can come up with five-syllable words and uh, and pronounce Yah as they do in southern churches with four syllables. Right? He's interested in a relationship. He's interested in dialogue. And the fact that Nehemiah has a heart for God's ear is matched by his heart for God's word. It's not just that he expects God to listen to him, but he knows God expects him to listen to God. And Nehemiah is as much into God's word as he is into praying
0: to God. It's part of the dialogue. So He personally
1: reads scripture. You can tell it in his prayer language. Even his prayers just are steeped in biblical language. But even when it comes time to read the law of Moses to the people, Nehemiah and Ezra and others make sure that the word can be understood because while the Jews were in Babylon, many of them abandoned Hebrew as a language and took on Aramaic, which was the local language
0: in Babylon. Which meant that you could read God's word to people and they wouldn't understand it.
1: And so Nehemiah and Ezra and others made sure that God's word could be not just heard, but understood. It's the reason we need translators. This is the reason why we need people to help, we need to help people understand God's word and what it means. There is power in God's word alone, but God has put that power in our hands and we have some serious responsibility about sharing God's will, God's word with other people. Making sure that they can understand and one of the things that is at the heart of Nehemiah is making sure the worship is aligned with God's word. There's a section in here, I think it's around chapter 8, where we find out that the festival of tabernacles, I, I used to call it the festival of booths, but everybody thought I was talking about alcohol. Booths. Um, Festival of Tabernacles. Right? Supposed to be one of the three major festivals celebrated by Jews in Jerusalem every year. But we find out that when they read the law, they realize, you know what, we haven't done this in six hundred years. We've not done this in six hundred years. And to their credit, they don't go, you know, well, you know. We haven't done it in 600 years, so why start now? We haven't done it in 600 years, so we better start now. God has called us to do this, and we align our lives with God and his word. And worship is worthless if our lives themselves are not aligned with God's word. And you will see Nehemiah acting and speaking in ways that clearly are shaped by his understanding of God's word, God's will. You read through the book and watch what he says, watch what he does. It's a life-changing experience because Nehemiah is in dialogue with God.
0: It's not a monologue. He is in communion with God. And because he's so close to God, he has a heart for God's powerful presence.
1: He feels the presence of God, and that means everything. For Nehemiah, religion isn't just some sort of practice. Religion isn't just some sort of religious duty that gets solved by, oh, I, do, I keep the Sabbath holy and I throw a few oxen on the Barbie and, uh, you know, do a couple other things, wear the right party hats at the right time, go to the festival of booze. <laughs> okay?
0: It's not about. Ritual. It's about relationship. It's about
1: being in the presence of God. This dialogue that he has with prayer and in in God's word is not something that has this sense of separation. He knows God's there. And what you're going to see over and over and over again are references to God working In everything. God, give us success. God, fight for us. Don't be afraid because remember the Lord is near. God has brought success. Everything that Nehemiah does, every bit of good news that occurs is not because of Nehemiah. It is because of God and Nehemiah has just been lucky enough to be a vehicle through whom God has worked. And with Jesus Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit, that opportunity is extended to every single one of us.
0: And folks, we have to work on that because there are a lot of people in church that have really low self-esteem. But if it's God, Right? If, if you have a heart
1: for God's powerful presence, it's not about your inabilities. It's not about your fears. It's not about your weaknesses. It's about God's power. It's about God's presence.
0: We don't have excuses. Well, I really can't do that because, because God's with you.
1: How silly does that sound? I really can't make a difference in my neighborhood. Because the God who created the universe is in me. Right? If we believe in the presence of the Holy Spirit, if we believe in God working his will through the church, there is not a single one of us who has a reason to doubt that we cannot do the greatest of things because
0: we have the greatest God. We are with God. Or to put it another way, God is with us.
1: And this is important. Nehemiah has this idea. We we think of Emmanuel and Isaiah and Matthew. But Nehemiah has this idea that God is with us. We could pick some other prepositions and prepositional phrases. There goes the grammar. Snooze. But it's not God despite us. It's not God instead of us. It's not God over us. It's God with us. And that is a choice by God. God could have entered into lots of different types of relationships with humanity. After all, he is God. But the one he chooses, the one he chooses is to be with us. That is empowering. And Nehemiah knows it. He feels it. He breathes it. It's every aspect of his being. It is the fact that he knows where his homeland is. And he knows who God is. That allows him to pursue kingdom things. And to pursue them with courage.
0: And with strength. I love the scene where the Samaritans
1: and the Ammonites and the Arabs are not too happy with the building progress of the wall in Jerusalem. And they're threatening to attack. And so Nehemiah's response is, don't fear them, God's with us. But, you start working on the wall with your left hand and keep a sword in the right hand. Hey. I, didn't I just imagine that? <laughs> Keep a sword in your right hand, build a wall with your left hand, because we are still committed to doing God's work, even if there's opposition. And we're prepared for that opposition, but God is with us. And God can fight for us. And so we are not going to allow these things to get in our way. We need to deal with them in ways that make sense. He didn't tell them to all dress in tutus and build the wall.
0: Might have been a great statement of faith. But it's about God with us.
1: That in that relationship with God, God works and we work. The two belong together.
0: God works and we work. And here's a kicker for you.
1: Nehemiah knows that he is the answer to his own prayers. Not that Nehemiah is the greatest, but that the God that he goes to is the greatest. And so as Nehemiah voices his prayers, he knows that God is calling him to be a part of the solution. I don't get that very much. I hear a lot of people praying about how bad everybody else is. I get a lot of people praying, oh Lord, won't you do something over here? Won't you do something over here? When in fact, perhaps we should realize that we are part of the answer to the prayer. That God wants to work through us. He wants to work with us. And that when I see a problem and I bring it to God in prayer, I better get up off my knees with something for my hands to do. I mean, it sounds righteous to say, well, let's take it to the Lord in
0: prayer. But it's actually holy if you get up and do something righteous. We don't just
1: say empty things to God in some vague hope that he will act. God is inviting us into a dialogue, into a relationship, and he has
0: empowered us to act. And so, he has a heart
1: for God's people. Because he is connected to God, he has a heart for God's people. I love reading the story of the work on the temple and on the wall. Everybody is involved. Rich and poor, young and old, they have kids working on the wall. Males and females. You, you, you read the story, you look at the names, you see what's going on, and what Nehemiah does is he sees himself as the answer to prayer, but he equips other people to be a part of the solution because God loves a people. He loves a nation. He loves his church. And we work together And Nehemiah is one who equips the saints for works of service and equips them to know God. I think a lot of the language that we see in the New Testament about what it means to be God's person is shaped frequently by the story of Nehemiah. A model for what it means to be God's person and God's people. And that if I am part of the solution to the problem, I do not do it alone. And I have a responsibility to make sure that others are prepared to do the work as well. They got that wall built in record time. And it was because Nehemiah didn't try to do it himself. And There's an 80-20 rule in the church. I get it. A lot. There are lots of 80-20 rules in the church. But one of them is 20% of the people do 80% of the work in a church. And that's probably close to true, but that's not the whole story. Part of the problem is a good chunk of the 20% of the people doing 80% of the work shouldn't be doing the work they're doing because they're not equipped for it and they're not gifted for it. But they have in their own minds the idea that certainly it's got to be better than so-and-so down on the other end of the pew. And what we do is we steal work from one another instead of equipping us for doing the right type of work. When you read through Nehemiah, you have the right people working on the doors. You have the right people working on the walls. You have the right people doing all of these different things. And Nehemiah encouraging,
0: urging on prayer, word, worship. One of the things that you'll
1: see throughout Nehemiah is even though his focus is on building the wall, building the temple, making the city safe again, he makes the city safe in a lot of different ways. Told you he basically runs the entire province out of his own pocket. We find out also in the book of Nehemiah that he is buying Jewish slaves back from foreign nations. But in the midst of that, there are some loan sharks in Jerusalem who've been extorting people. And so Jews who have come back to Jerusalem are now having to sell their kids into slavery because they can't pay off the debts. And Nehemiah says, there is something
0: horribly wrong with that. It's bad enough that we're trying to purchase our people back from other nations,
1: but we now have to buy them from our own people? And he finds out that poor people aren't getting the right amount of foods and and, uh, supplies. And so he makes sure that the right portions are sent out to the right people. He finds out that the Levites are being neglected in the support they are supposed to have from the israelite worship and so he restored he's constantly looking for people who are being neglected who are being oppressed who are being made fun of who are being taken advantage of and he addresses the problem and his solution is always this is not what god says but it's matched by so this is what i am going to do The reason Nehemiah is successful, and if you're going to be successful as a church, I I, I think your, your mission statement is something like, love God, love people, change the world. That's the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah loves God. Nehemiah loves his people. Nehemiah is changing the world. But why is he successful and other people aren't? It's because more than his heart was in it. His heart was not the only muscle he
0: applied to the work of the kingdom. He used his head. He used his hands. He used his feet. Too
1: often, we sit by the wayside and pat ourselves on the back because, well, I prayed to God about that. Oh, things will get better because I prayed to God about that. No, I'm not going to get outside of my house. It's dangerous out there. But I prayed to God about that. Have you listened to what God has told you? Right? It's not a one-way street because God has told you to get out. God has told you, you see a problem? You want to pray about it? Good. Do something about it. And I've already told you how to do it, and I've empowered you to do it. There are people who are poor. There are people who are being oppressed. There are people who are being taken advantage of. You
0: know who they are. You know where to find them if you don't know who they are. Pray about it and do about it. Because there are a lot of people, I imagine, who were stuck back in the
1: Persian Empire who thought they were just fine, upstanding Christian
0: people who prayed and prayed and prayed, but Nehemiah did because he understood that God was with him. Love God, love people, change the world not because
1: nor, you know, not because this is a great congregation, it's one of my favorites. But it's not because this is a great congregation. It's
0: because God's with us. Right. It's because God is with us. There's a lot of kingdom work that needs to be done today.
1: There's a lot of kingdom work that needs to be done tomorrow. And I tell you, I actually do pray, Lord, please come before the first day of the fall semester begins. <laughs> I have lots of different days I pick, and I'm praying fervently that God will take us
0: home. But until then, I'm supposed to bring God's home to people. We pray, we listen, and we do. Love God, love people, change the world. Thank you.